Welcome to Libre Lounge, a podcast about free software, free culture, and all the other interesting aspects of user freedom. With Christopher Lemmer Weber and Serge Broklowski. Hey, Chris. Hey, Serge. So I know for a while you've been wanting to talk to me about this object capabilities thing and school me in all of that stuff that I don't really understand. And uh, you brought a guest with you. So why don't we talk about that? Right. So uh, I feel like uh, th- this historical problem where object capabilities um, are a solution for a lot of the problems that we have on computers, but on the other hand, it's not very well explained or well understood by the general public, and and getting into the literature is really hard, which is why I'm really, really excited to have in our guest, uh, with our guest Kate Sills, who's from uh, Agoric. She's an engineer at Agoric. So, Kate, welcome to Libre Lounge. We're really excited to have you here. Hi, guys. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, hi, Kate. Uh, It's good to meet you. So... Um, I've heard from Chris about object capabilities, and I have a really uh, general understanding about what they are and how they work. So maybe uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on on this whole topic. Sure. Uh, so I think the way that people usually start is that, um, it, so it's kind of silly, but there's a program on your computer that's really dangerous. It can uh, drain your bank account, it can access all your files, it can send your files over the network, it can do a lot of really scary things. And uh, this program on your computer is solitaire. So I think the first the motivator for object capabilities is just that our current programs are just out of control. Um, and we've seen this recently with the event stream incident where, uh, I won't go into the details now, but we saw that um, just by including a module in one of our programs, uh, they were able to get access to Bitcoin private keys. So right now, our, our programs, the programs that we're running, are able to do all sorts of things that we don't want them to do. And so we need a solution to that. And I think that's kind of the, the motivation for object capabilities. Um, and tied into this is the concept of the principle of least authority. So in the event stream incident, um, this malicious module Uh, It had access to the file system, and it had access to the network, and it didn't actually need either of those things. So the principle of least authority would say, if something doesn't need access, don't give it access. So if Solitaire doesn't need access to the network, uh, just don't give it access. And then that way, you know, no matter what, even if it's written maliciously, it can't drain your bank account. So I think uh, object capabilities are very directly tied to the principle of least authority, and they're pretty much the best way to try to enforce that. That makes sense. I mean, we so we talked about a, a, the event stream incident on, uh, mm-hmm. I think, one of our early, early episodes, and we'll, we'll link to that. And what we discussed was that uh, when a program runs in our traditional systems, whether that be um, you know our Unix-based systems or even Windows, that programs run um, you know, as a user. So we kind of have this idea of permissions and, and a program has all, you know, a program inherits all the permissions of, of, the, of the user who runs it. And there's some, of course, exceptions to that. But basically, um, anything that I can do, a program that's running on my behalf can do. And that's a problem when uh, there's, all this, there's all these programs out there and we don't really have the ability to audit them because 
you know, there's millions and maybe even billions of lines of source code now, and there's no way that anyone can audit every single line of source code on, on even a modern, just on a modern day computer. So it makes sense that we need some kind of approach that, um, that addresses that. And it sounds like, you know, from what Chris has said and from what you're saying, that object capabilities is a, is a method to do that. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and I think I think that there's also this thing where um, our gut feeling is to approach things in a kind of an identity centric way because that's the way that most of us are used to dealing with things in the real world. Like I have the idea of you know Serge and Kate are two people I know, and I might trust them you know to do certain types of things. So I I have this feeling like of course you know I think about you know, Serge as a person and, and Kate as a person. And it's the default assumption I might have is that I want to split up my computer programs to have that same kind of mapping. But it feels like, it seems like uh, this identity centric approaches kind of fall down when we, when we try to put them in practice. So, so, so I guess let's get into what the alternative is. Yeah. So, so what we're really talking about, I think is access control right and we're familiar with the type of access control where it's like you know uh are you on the guest list to come into this party or you know are you the manager of this business and therefore you're able to go into the the safe or something like that but when it comes to um access control and computers we're talking about a um instead of it being on a human to human level it's a process to process or or computer to computer level and i think um, that's kind of where our intuitions uh, fall apart. But I, but object capabilities uh, give us something that I think works on both levels. So, so one example that people use often is the valet example. So you can imagine that uh, you're checking into a hotel and uh, you give the valet the key to your car, and you know uh, you continue checking in. They take the car. Uh, everything works as usual. And then later that night, you want to go use the car to go to dinner. Um, that valet, the original one that you handed the key to, has gone off duty. Um, but since he's just handed the key to the next valet that came on duty, there's no problem and you're able to to take your car. So in that case, the key is kind of an object capability. So the um, the alternative to object capability is known as an access control list. And there, there are other alternatives as well. But the access control list is more of an identity-based um, access control. And so in that example, if it was an access control list, it might be that you check into the hotel, uh, but this time you would actually write the name of the valet uh, down onto your car's uh, you know, list of who's allowed to access the car. But then when the time comes to go to dinner and the old valet went off duty, the new valet isn't actually uh, on the list of people who have access to your car. So then, uh, you know, you can't actually get your car back. So, right. so what happens in this instance a lot is that people just end off handing, people just hand off their permissions because they're like, oh, it's too hard to actually keep track of who's allowed to do what. You can just pretend to be me. So, you know, we've seen this where it's like, uh, like people will just hand off their entire permissions to like a secretary or something like that to handle things for them um, or an intern. Um, but you know, this, this has a lot of problems. So like in this example, like maybe you just hand your driver's license over to the valet uh, when you get out of the car 
And then they're able to hand it over to any new valets that come on duty, so that part works. They can also take it to your bank and drain your account. So so the access control lists, um, they have a lot of problems that I think uh, object capabilities solve. And object capabilities are kind of like a, a key approach rather than, uh, you know, are you on this list of approved people? Right. So I think that that's really interesting because when, I mean, these days we're finally entering an era where a car might scan your face and actually identify you. But historically, a car does hasn't cared who you are um, about what your ability to turn it on. We have this complete other metaphor that's more kind of possession based, which is you just happen to have this thing and you turn, you know, you put it in the slot and turn the key and the car starts on, uh, starts up and it doesn't really care who you are in that type of case. So, so I guess that what's nice about that metaphor is that, you know, we, we do have some things in the real world that, that actually do reflect our ability to, you know, whether or not we can access things. And, and it also seems interesting that, you know, you talked about handing things off as in terms of the valet, um, you know, so, so we could, so, so I guess the, the object capability definition of that is, is delegation, right? Is, uh, you know, me, you know, if, 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 if you're the, the car owner and I'm the valet and you, you handed that to me, we'd, we'd, we'd call that delegation. And, uh, uh, what else can we do? Is there, uh, there, there's another term that, uh, uh, that, that's coming to mind that's called attenuation. How else might we affect this valet key? Yeah. So I think there are actually, uh, cars that work like this, that have a special valet key that's, uh, limited in what it can do. So I, I don't know exactly how it works, but it's, it might be something like, Maybe it can only go uh, within 10 miles or something like that. Or maybe it can only go up to, you know, um, uh, 60 miles per hour or, you know, whatever it is that you would that would stop someone from, um, you know, having a joyride. So so attenuation is basically taking whatever you can do with it and limiting it somehow and then handing that off. Um, So another example might be like. Uh, let's say you could hand someone access or hand a program access to your entire entire file system if you want them to just uh, to write to a single file, or you can uh, give them access to only that single file and maybe only the ability to append to it. Um, and so you can kind of get smaller and smaller um, authorities that you can pass off. And this is very, very powerful, um, and it helps with the principle of least authority because if they only need to append, definitely don't give them access to your whole computer's file system. That makes a lot of sense. And it's definitely very different from the way that we traditionally think about, at least on um, just on one computer system, the way we think about uh, the, the permission model, right, which is that, you know, you have access to all of the APIs um, that are provided to you if you have quote unquote permission to a resource, which is usually a, a file, at least in the in the Unix system. Um, but so this is this makes a lot of sense. Your car valet metaphor makes a lot of sense, and and I guess the the API metaphor also makes sense if you're handling over, let's say, a file descriptor with a particular ability or not ability, so maybe you can read, or maybe you can, as you say, append and and, and not necessarily read. But I'd like to hear more is computery examples. Sure. Um, so one example that people might be familiar with is uh, the Google Doc links. So when you say share, 
and you hand off a link and you choose, you know, whether you want to view or edit or whatever it is that you actually want to hand off to someone else, that's actually a form of an object capability. Um, and the important thing is that someone hopefully shouldn't be able to generate it uh, just by guessing. So, so to make sure I understand, I guess the link is the like the reference. So if you like the link is the key. So the link that you're being, you know, that kind of randomly generated link is is the the reference to the to the object, and the object being the fact Google Doc. And then if if uh, if the permission that was set when it was created or the the capability in in, in this language was okay, this person can can read but can't edit or can edit. That's different from so they can they only have authority to do that one to work on that one um, document rather than oh if I'm giving you this I'm also giving you access to my email and to all my other docs and my calendar and all that stuff right yeah I think that's right and in a full object capability system you might even be able to do more things like uh, hand off a you know you can view it only once um, a, a authority or you know, there's all sorts of things that you can imagine where it's like uh, you can only edit for this amount of time or, you know, because we're going to be publishing later or something like that. Uh, so the cool thing is that there's a lot of if you get creative, there's a lot of things that you can do with it. Yeah. So what I what I also like about the link uh, aspect is, well, so listeners who have been listening to Libre Launch for a while know that, you know, a lot of what I do has to do with communication protocols. and so if we think about, you know, well, that link is an address that we've got, um, you know, one of the other addresses that comes up in my work is, you know, an activity pub, you have a link to an actor and that actor is some account by which, you know, you can send messages, right? And this is also true in email, right? Email has, you know, bob at example.org or something like that. And, and we think of that as kind of, you know, this this object in which we, uh, this address in which we can reference Bob. Um, but, you know, what if, you know, let's say um, this this perception of having, uh, you've got a address is kind of a very identity-centric type approach. And what's kind of cool is if you start thinking about, well, you know, what's that similar idea to the Google Doc link, you know, where it generates this, you know, kind of random-ish looking identifier that you can't just brute force and guess, uh, could we apply that thing to a um, to other kinds of uh, like a messaging context, like a social networking context? And the very and the way that we can maybe do that is instead of you having one inbox that you can send things to, maybe instead I could have multiple inboxes. So, for example, maybe uh, I know uh, both. You know, I know both of you, Kate and Serge. Uh, maybe instead of me just having, you know, CWeber at Octodon.social, maybe I've got, I generate different inboxes that I give one to you, Kate, and I give one to you, Serge. And if you two, you know, pass those along and I start getting spammed by one of them, I could just shut it down, right? So in it, it seems kind of principle of least authority-ish uh, in that type of regard. I mean, do you think that that's a good principle of least authority example, Kate, or do you... Uh, or am I off base? No, I think that's right. I think um, the ability to, you're basically attenuating your inbox, right? So instead of saying, um, you have the authority to send me as many messages as you want, and they go directly to me, you're saying, um, 
you know, you have the ability to only send messages to this other inbox and I'll handle it differently. So I, um, I think that is a really good example of, of the principle of least authority. Right. And I could attenuate it in other ways, too. I mean, so, you know, yeah, maybe I could restrict it to only 25 messages that you can send me. Or maybe I could, you know, I could revoke it eventually. I could say, oh, I don't, you can't send me messages anymore. I mean, and I might still want a public inbox, but maybe one thing I could do is I could have a public inbox that anybody could access that's, you know, more well known. Um but maybe you have to like pay me five cents to be able to access that inbox. And then, you know, if I come to know you, then I can hand you this other inbox in which things are handled for free. That, you know, that may be one type of way that we could get around spam or something like that. But what seems cool to me is that, as you said, each one of those options is kind of an attenuation of access to my inbox. Um, so I guess... I guess what I, I I'd like to go here, you know, we we did this in kind of two different networky type visions of uh, uh, of accessing capabilities, but I feel like, um, you know, maybe a user might be confused. How how do we get from this kind of networking type view of things? How do we get that to kind of the language side of things? Because you started talking about the event stream problem. Um, how can we apply these same ideas that we've been understanding to a, a, you know, a language in a kind of a module fashion? Right. So uh, the company that I work for, Agoric, is really focused on this right now, um, in particular because of the event stream incident. Um, it made it clear that JavaScript packages and, and uh, the package systems in other languages as well um, really have no they have no security whatsoever. So if I install a package and maybe it's just doing something very simple, like, um, you know, adding the exclamation point to the end of my sentences or something like that, like something very silly, or um, actually a, a real example is uh, there's this JavaScript package uh, chalk, which just allows you to color your uh, console in different colors. Um, but something that silly has the, the authority to your entire system. So they can be creating files, they can be sending files, you know, they can do whatever, um, do pretty much whatever they want. They can send your data out. Um, so what we've been working on is uh, how you would be able to do a safe, um, a safe module system. And the problem is that, um, let's say you lock everything down, and that's always a good start is to prevent uh, code from accessing the powerful authorities like access to your file system and access to your network. But once you lock everything down, then the question is, let's say you have um, you have modules or you, you have pieces of code that actually do need access to, uh, uh, for instance, uh, let's say you're building a, a Twitter app or something that, that just shows like uh, Twitter notifications. Um, you actually do want to be able to access the network and, and get information from Twitter, but you don't need to be able to, to send out information, right? So you might, um, and at that point, you might uh, just get an attenuated form of the network access and only be able to hit this one endpoint, um, which is some kind of read-only twitter.com uh, URL. So, so that's the kind of thing that we're working on right now um, for JavaScript where you can actually uh, give very attenuated authorities to the different modules that you're using. So just because something installs on your computer doesn't mean it has access to everything that you have access to. Right. So this makes sense to me because when I think about um, passing around, you know, we mentioned that capabilities are very 
reference and kind of possession-based, one way that, you know, many of my functions get access to things is that I actually pass in uh, um, a reference to a variable or something like that to the function, right? Um, And so, you know, I... uh, my understanding is that in a certain sense, that's kind of what you're suggesting that we do with modules, right? Is that we should be able to pass in access to the network or or something like that. We should be able to give modules access to things, but but kind of hand them the access instead of them just being able to reach out and grab what they want. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So um, the problem with the event stream incident is that it was just able to reach out and grab access to the network and grab access to uh, the file system um, without actually being granted those authorities. Uh, So that would be called ambient authority. Um, And what we're trying to do is to have it be explicit that you're actually handing off uh, access to these authori- authorities and hopefully the attenuated limited form of them. Um, and so that could be in the form of having um, uh, it's a parameter that you pass into the module when the module is instantiated, or it could be in the form of a um, manifest if people are familiar with like uh, the package.json that uh, uh, NPM modules use in JavaScript. Um, so there are different ways that you can actually um, convey that you're intending to do this. But I think the really important thing is that uh, it's explicit that you're you're passing these authorities, not that it's um, implicit and the whatever you're installing is just able to grab them. Right. So, Serge, something you've said to me that you've 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 kind of remarked over and over again is that in, in many of the there have been many attempts to try to be able to lock things down but it, it kind of turns into a configuration nightmare isn't that right like that's that's your been your frustration yeah when when i was when i was working as a sysadmin uh you know and i was i was partially in charge of my team was in charge of security of these these servers and we had hundreds of servers and uh from different teams and we had looked at you know systems for mandatory access control and these systems, so we, we were looking at SE Linux and AppArmor is kind of similar in, in design at least. And we, we, we tried to implement this. And the idea was, well, what you do is you set out beforehand what each program is going to be able to do. And so you specify like, okay, well, this program can only touch these files and this program can only touch this thing or can only access this part of the network, et cetera. And it's it's a nightmare to configure because um, if you it's fine if the if the you know the distribution because we were all running uh, GNU Linux if the distribution handles it for you it's not terrible um, but anytime you make a modification you'd have to we'd have to configure it but the worst part was that our developers would give us code and they really wouldn't uh, they wouldn't constrain their their programs. So sometimes their programs would start accessing pieces of the file system or doing network things and they would change what their programs did over time and they'd need different resources and we really weren't able to to keep up the security uh, requirement of, of being able to audit um, uh, audit their programs and then be able to define specifically what resources they needed. So we eventually we just turned the whole thing off. And then it's like, well, why? What's the point? Because the, the the software that we're most concerned about isn't the 
you know, isn't the version of, you know, of Apache or Bind that, you know, has a, that has, you know, thousands of people examining it. It's, it's really the internal code. So, so yeah, having, having a system where that kind of, um, you know, these kind of um, capabilities are kind of bundled in and, and have to be handed off to the program would absolutely make, uh, would have made my job a lot easier. And, and Kate, I, I've, I've heard, I, I'd love to hear an explanation for this because I've heard some people from the Agoric uh, type of groups try to, you know, kind of remark on this kind of classic failure of kind of pre-configuring all the security for your programs and then it never quite being enough. And so now either you have like not enough or, or too much and that there's this idea that you can do like kind of a just in time approach for authority and object capabilities. But what does that mean? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in different circumstances, it ends up uh, meaning something very different. Like in, uh, in some cases, you could even have a software to software negotiation, where, um, you know, uh, the program is saying, hey, you know, I really need access to the file system. And uh, the other program says, well, you know, I don't think so. How about just how about just this directory? And maybe that suffices. But but in a lot of cases, that might be really inefficient, right? So I think it depends on what exactly the use case is. Um, and so you see various ways of handling it. But the important thing is, is that it's not an outside administrator that's setting the policy. It's, um, it is the, the software itself that is, that is setting the policy. And one way of kind of, of handling the problem of having to itemize all of this is um, a member of the community is building a tool right now that um, that allows you to kind of print out the authorities that are being used by a JavaScript module. And so um, there, at least you can check that, hey, now it's not asking for something that's really different than what I think it's doing, um, you know, uh, which would have solved the event stream incident. So I'm thinking about what the alternative here is to, to a system like this. And I'm thinking about what this would look like in, in the real world. So the alternative that a lot of people are running is they, well, we'll just containerize uh, the application, right? So we'll, we'll put it in a Docker container or, you know, you know, whatever the equivalent is. And we'll say, okay, well, you can only access this part of the file system, or you can only talk to, you know, the network through this interface or, or whatever. Um, and I, I guess, so help me understand why, well, a why this is better, but also from a from a practical standpoint, what's stopping a developer from just saying, okay, well, uh, if I have to list my capabilities, my capabilities are I want the entire file system, and I want the network, and and I want the screen and everything else. Yeah, I think uh, XKCD has a really great uh, um, comic about this called like the I think it's like the sandbox cycle uh, where it's like all right so it's it's okay so we'll just put everything in containers and that'll work and then it's like oh well we actually need to interact and then then the next step is well all of our interactions are leaving us really vulnerable to all these things so we should just put everything into containers again and it's just this ongoing cycle um, and so I think the what object capabilities allow you to do is to have this really fine-grained fine-grained form of containers, um, and it allows you to have safe interactions as well. So it's um, you're cutting off default access, but you're not cutting off um, intentional access. 
and you can you can design it such that uh, if something malicious happens through that interaction, um, luckily it won't you know uh, destroy your whole file system or destroy your computer or anything like that. It may just you know let's say uh, if you're importing the chalk module that changes the colors on your console um, or your terminal, uh, like at the bare at, at the worst. Right. Uh, the only thing that it would actually do is uh, fail to do that correctly. It wouldn't do all of these other things. So I think you can see it as kind of um, uh, solving some of the same problems as kind of these uh, very coarse grained containers, but it can do a lot more than that too. <laughs> so, so maybe you know. So, but so this is starting to sound really exciting. Like it, it like I can imagine a lot of my computing experience. Uh, um, you know being able to trust my computer a whole lot more um you know uh the i mean i like i can even imagine you know maybe uh i mean gosh you know it could could this help with things like uh my my financial uh maybe maybe fearing online transactions less or something like that uh yeah i think so so um I actually, I'm I'm afraid to admit this, but I actually use this um, this website called Mint.com uh, to uh, it. It basically it takes all of the info from your credit cards and bank accounts and things like that, and and lets you view it in like one on one website, uh, which sounds great. But the way that it does it is really really bad and really really scary. Um, it actually asks you for the password and username to all of these different accounts. So if mint.com is attacked, uh, we really have the worst case scenario where, you know, someone could take all of your money. Um, so we could we can imagine if instead, um, what, all that they really need is the is a read only capability, right, to all of your accounts. And if they were just able to hand that over rather than you know acting as you taking your password and your username and logging into all of these different credit cards and and bank account uh, websites. Um, then that would be a lot safer. And the worst case scenario there would be that, okay, maybe your information gets leaked, but if you really design it well, um, you could also try to cut off access to network as well. Right. That makes sense. So uh, I think there was, so there was kind of a funny uh, example of, you know, this uh, running things as you example that, that I think you, uh, you and I were talking about that Alan Karp, who is a member of the object capability community, uh, brought up this example, and I'm probably going to butcher it, uh, but let let me let me see if I can try. I think it was between maybe Alan and Mark Stiegler, who's another object capability person. Anyway, there's two people. We'll just call them Alan and Mark. Uh, and the story goes that uh, I think Mark wants to store things in Alan's garage, and uh, and. And, you know, Alan says, okay, no problem. Alan hands his key off to his son because he has to leave. And then his son hands it off to Mark. Mark opens the garage and puts his stuff in the garage. And nobody blinks an eye about this scenario. It's, it doesn't seem too stressful. But later, you know, Mark wants to store a file on Alan's computer. So, uh, so Mark says, could you give me your password to your computer? And then Alan hesitates. And why does Alan hesitate? And I guess that that story seems like a reflection on the, oh, you know, maybe this acting as us thing is is really, it's not good enough for the kind of computing that we want to be able to do today. Yeah, I think um, we just haven't yet designed our computers to be able to to have the same kind of uh, fine-grained authority that we see in real life. Like, um, 
I think that's a good example. Um, another example is, um, you know, when we go to buy something, we don't hand over our wallet to the uh, cashier, right? We, we hand over the, the money. So I think, um, you know, we can design our computers such that they can perform services for us and we don't have to actually um, give them control of everything that we have as if they're us. And that's something that, that I think is really, really important, especially for security and also just for usability. So let's, let's get down a little bit. I, I see two directions here. Um, so I guess one is the, the programming culture, right? Because for a long time, programmers have just assumed that they'll have access to um, all, the, all the things, right? So I just have to import a module and I can talk to standard in, standard out, and I can talk and pull another thing and I can pull out the file system and networking. So I guess the first thing is how, how do we change that? But then I wanna hear a little bit about the practical, how do you implement this? You mentioned JavaScript, which means that the, the Java, I guess the nice thing here, and I'm just guessing, is that that means that you're implementing this at the JavaScript engine level, is that, you know, so that, so that the JavaScript engine is then going to be the one that's going to decide whether, you know, it's, it's going to be the one handing the capabilities off to these modules. Is that, is that how that works? Uh, so actually it's, uh, it's one step higher than that. It's at the language level itself. Um, so, um, the, the object capability, um, enforcement, I, I guess you could say it's at the V8 level or the engine level. Um, but that is already part of the, uh, of the JavaScript specification. That um, so there are certain languages where you can't do this very easily, like um, in C or in uh, languages that aren't memory safe. Right? You could you could make up a number, and then all of a sudden you have access to that pointer or uh, to what that pointer is uh, referencing. Right? Um, so so I think most of it, um, if you're a user of an object capability paradigm that's already been prepared for you, um, you don't have to worry about that much. You can just uh, program as usual. But you have the ability to hand over fine grand authority. Okay, so that sounds pretty cool. Uh, Serge, I'm thinking about how do we, uh, I mean, part of the reason we wanted to bring this up is that we felt like, um, wh why we wanted to bring it up now, I should say, is that we felt like this is actually a tie-in to some of the things that we were thinking about in, you know, future episodes, even around the Federation stuff. Uh, what, but, but like, what... Uh, where do you think we bring this conversation for year uh, here for Libre Lounge? I mean, I think there, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to think about here. Um, the, the, I guess the first part is, you know, we look, we free software advocates are all about being able to inspect source code and audit programs, um, and from a from a, a legal level. And from a and from a you know understanding level and an improvement level, but on an everyday basis, um, we don't go around auditing every program we run. We we have a we have a a trust relationship with our with our programs, um, and so the ability to restrict that trust relationship, uh, or at least change it so that we can uh, more easily give out. Uh, authority to programs that we don't necessarily know as well. That's that's a very good thing. Um, it's a good thing for for regular people running desktops. It's a good thing for people running on mobile. It's an it's a good thing for servers um, where there might be lots of private data. 
Um, and I know that, you know, you and I have talked about things like um, running arbitrary code. So you gave a talk at, at CopyleftConf about this idea that, well, if you've got a network of thousands of machines, maybe, maybe uh, I want to give you some program that I wrote and have it run inside of your machine. Um, and you, you gave the example of the mud and Sprightly and then... We'll, we'll link to that talk, but, you know, the idea that like, hey, if I've got some, you know, some, um, let's say some really cool sword or magic wand or monster that I've designed and you're like, oh, that's really cool. I could then hand this off to you and then through the object capabilities, you're going to know and be able to control exactly what it does. And, and it can't, and you know, even, even if it tried to contain malware, it wouldn't be able to, to do anything um, bad because it, just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, it literally wouldn't be able to do anything. Yeah. I, I mean, if I'm not able to, uh, to take arbitrary uh, fire elementals that, uh, that my friends program and run them in my game. Uh, you know, then what kind of a mud is it going to be? Uh, it's going, especially in a distributed world. So I, I think this stuff is going to be really fun and exciting as we we move, you know, even into the 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 more fun and goofier parts of the network space. And of course, obviously, there's a lot more direct examples as we've talked about here. Um, so I feel like that's actually bringing us towards the end of the episode. So I I, I wonder, Kate, uh, would you? You know, we're we're kind of wrapping things up. Would you like to uh, maybe say a bit more about yourself and your your work and things that people should know before we we sign off? Sure. Well, first, thank you so much again for having me. Um, like I said, I work for a company called Agoric. Um, we actually do secure smart contracts in a subset of JavaScript, um, but it's all based on object capabilities. So um, that's something that we're very focused on. Um, so we have, we actually have a whole forum for object capabilities in JavaScript uh, called uh, ocapjs.org. Um, uh, we have a website, agoric.com. Um, there's also, uh, we've written some pieces about like the, um, the event stream incident and how POLA or the principle of least authority and object capabilities would help with that. Um, there's some, there are a whole bunch of um, kind of background on object capabilities that we can put in the show notes. Um, but but really, our focus is um, using object capabilities and a subset of JavaScript to enable people to um, interact online with cryptocurrencies uh, with objects of value and to not get attacked, um, which is so far has been mostly impossible. So <laughs> so we're but we're very excited about what we're doing and especially with object capabilities. Yeah, uh, I I think we're going to want to have both you and other members of the Agoric team in for some future episodes as we explore more along these ideas and, you know, uh, especially fun things like pet names, which I know you, you and I have both uh, talked quite a bit about in the, the, the past um, and in all sorts of other fun things. But in the meanwhile, it's been really a pleasure having you on uh, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for the future that's unfolding before us in uh, OCAP land. Yeah, thank you both for helping me understand this a lot better. Well, thanks again. I had a great time. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. So I guess, Chris, um, we'll sign off here and uh, see everyone next time.
Yeah, like uh, a quick reminder, uh, if people enjoyed the episode, we always love feedback. Um, we have a few ways that we can, that people can contact us, uh, one of them being uh, 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 hash Libre Lounge on irc.freenode.net. Um, some others, I guess, being the, we've got an account on the Fediverse, which is, oh, I'm blanking on it. Uh, it's Libre Lounge at, uh, it's at Libre Lounge at floss.social. We've got pod. You can also email us podcast at LibreLounge.org. You can find us on Twitter at LibreLounge. There we go. And see, that's why this is a con. That's why this is a conversational or a casual conversation about uh, uh, user freedom so that when I forget, uh, we can continue the conversation together. All right. This has been great. Uh, take care, everybody. All right. Bye. You've been listening to Libre Lounge. You can find and subscribe to us at LibreLounge.org. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Our theme music is Bossa Nova by Joth, which is waved into the public domain under CC0 and which you can find on OpenGameArt.org. If you'd like to support Chris Weber's work on this and other user freedom projects, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash C-W-E-B-B-E-R. Thanks for listening. See you next time.